Uh, I was reminded, uh, actually a conversation a couple weeks ago that Asher and I were having reminded me uh, of a conversation he and I had had years ago. Uh, and, and I was trying to figure out exactly what it was. I think it was about four and a half years ago. So he's about 11, uh, 11 and a half. And he had just started playing soccer uh, on a new team. Now, Asher's played soccer since he was four years old, but he had just started like new season with the new coach. And I remember picking him up uh, from practice and he got in the car and I said, how did it go? How was practice? You know, it's the new coach, the new season, new things. And he was like, oh, it was okay. And I was like, well, just okay. What, what was wrong? I could tell. And he said, well, I'm not sure that this coach really knows what he's doing. And I was like, really? And, and I was kind of surprised because his, his coach uh, at the time and then for the next three years was Patrice Paris, who's the men's head coach at North Georgia. And so Pat's like a great coach. Uh, has a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, a lot of success as a coach. Uh, I, I would dare to say all the coaches Asher had had, to have, had had to that point, Patrice had a lot more knowledge and, and a lot to share. And so I was real surprised when he said, I'm not sure that he knows what he's doing. And I said, well, what do you think? What's happening? And so he starts to tell me in all his wisdom of 11 and a half years what he was doing wrong and the way that he should do it and the way that it should go and all these kind of things. And I said, well, let's just give it some time right? New coach, new season. We'll give it some time. We'll see how it goes. And so over the next few months, uh, there was a few comments here and there that were negative, but those started to fade. Uh, after several months, probably halfway through the year, he started to talk about how good of a coach Coach Pat was. Suddenly it changed. Suddenly he started to talk about all the things he was doing. Asher was growing as a player. His team was playing really well. They were starting to play really well. And suddenly it was like, Coach Pat's a pretty good coach. And he started to, started to say that. And then over the next three years, we got to have Coach Pat as Asher's coach. And so for three years, we saw this guy that had incredible wisdom, knowledge of the game, but not just knowledge and wisdom of the game, but was kind and gracious and a wonderful coach. We are blessed to have him for three years. And after those three years, I, th- I think Asher would even tell you today, he's still reaping the benefits of having this coach that really knew what he was talking about, that really cares for the boys who's really uh, put the most important things first. And I tell you that Asher's still drawing on the experience that he learned there, the things that he learned. He's now playing for the school, the high school, and he's using those things that he's learned. And so the other day, uh, I don't know that he remembered that first conversation, but the other day he got in the car and he had just finished his first uh, taking a test so he can coach now, young kids. And he passed his first thing and he said, did you know Coach Pat has the highest rating of any uh things that you can have as a coach and he said and then he said uh i think coach pat's the best coach that i'll probably ever get to play for in my life and i thought how cool that was but the difference between that first day i don't really think this guy knows what he's doing to this guy's like the best coach that i might ever have and so i was thinking about that that sometimes in fact oftentimes in order to grow You have to humble yourself to begin to take steps of action even before you're fully convinced from your own limited understanding. That we have to humble ourselves and take the wisdom of those that have gone before. We have to humble ourselves under God's word and what he's told us and begin to take steps of action even when we're not quite sure. And I was thinking about that in relation to the two stories we're going to look at today. The call of Peter And the call of Matthew to come and follow Jesus. And what we have here is this incredible kind of clash of what happens of these two men. And from their limited understanding and Jesus calls them to come and follow him. And they don't fully understand what Jesus is saying. 
They don't understand all that he's calling them into. But both of these men humble themselves and they take the steps of faith to come and follow him. And what we learn as we look at these two stories is what is true for them is true for us. It's an important lesson about how we grow as disciples, as we grow in our relationship with the Lord and with one another. What must happen at different times is we have to begin to step out. And so there's a couple things, step out in faith. And so there's a couple things that I want us to think about as we look at these two passages together. And the first one is this, that when we begin to follow Jesus, the authority of our life changes. And then the second thing, the orientation of our life begins to change or the outlook of our life begins to change. And as we begin to take those steps, we surrender our authority and we begin to change the outlook that we have we begin to change. God uses those means to change us more fully into his image. And so I want to show you that as we look at these two stories together. So let's start with just the authority of our life has to change first. And so I want us just to think about this story of the call of Peter. Very familiar story, but let's just think about it together for just a second. It tells us that the crowds were pressing in to hear the word of God as Jesus is teaching. And he's out by this lake uh, it says the lake of Gennesaret, but that's, that's actually a, a plain by the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus is teaching by the Sea of Galilee. If you've been with us, we've been talking about Jesus's life chronologically. And we said last week that he's kind of relocated up by the city of Capernaum. That's kind of his hub right now for his ministry, which is a city that's right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. He's going out to the different towns. He's preaching and teaching. He's beginning to do miracles. People are starting to see the glory of who Jesus is. People are starting to get excited. We're really like at the tail end of the first year because the first year we say is the year of preparation or the year of obscurity. People don't know fully who Jesus is, but we're about to turn the corner into the year of popularity where everybody starts to get real excited because of what Jesus is saying and what he's doing and the miracles they're seeing. And so here he is by the Sea of Galilee preaching and it says the crowds were pressing in on him. And so he's, uh, the way the Sea of Galilee is, is it has sharp banks. And so if people press in, it would make it harder for them to hear. And so Jesus says to one of the guys nearby, which happens to be Peter, he says, can I get in your boat and push out a little way so he can talk where people will hear him? And so as he pushes out, it makes it where he gives a little bit of distance so he can talk with a normal voice and everybody would be able to hear him. So what he's doing here is just uh, practically helpful so that people can understand and hear him. And so he pushes out away from the, the shore and he begins to teach. And as he finishes, he gets done and he turns, it says in verse four, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon and Peter, same guy, both, both his name. He says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And so he asks him to, to put out, to go back out and, and to begin f- fishing again, right? Simon is a fisherman. That's what he does for his vocation. And he says, in typical Peter fashion, if you're familiar with the Gospels, quick to speak, slow to listen. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Right? He says, I've been fishing all night and we've gotten nothing. You really want me to do this again? Right? You're kind of reading between the lines, but that's kind of what he's saying. But then he says, because you've told me to, right? Uh, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And so they do. They push away from the shore and they let down the nets. And in that moment, he, he, he puts down, but I, I want you just to think for a second how he's telling him to do something here that he doesn't really want to do, right? He's been fishing all night. He's exhausted. He's tired. He's been out on the lake all night. He's not caught anything. He's a professional fisherman. He kind of knows when the fishing is good and when it's not. And it's like, really? 
<laughs> I'm exhausted. You want me to do this again? But he does. He obeys. He takes the step of obedience and listens to what Jesus is telling him, despite his heart not fully being it, despite him not seeing the wisdom of what's happening. But he obeys and he fo- follows what Jesus tells him. And I want us just to think about that because there's different times in our own lives when we see the things that God's word clearly tells us and we just don't feel like it. Our own wisdom, our own thoughts, our own emotions or feelings or what's going on in our life and the things that we're struggling with, they kind of press in and it's easy to start to move away from the things that God's clearly told us. Here we have Peter actually speaking to Jesus and him telling him to do this. And so he does it, but you kind of get the sense with Peter that he's kind of just doing it to placate him. Like, okay, fine, I'm exhausted, but I'll do it. And so he does, and he follows what Jesus says, and he does. And so that first step of growth, even right here at the beginning of this story, as we seek to follow Jesus, the first step of growth is often going to be the authority of our life changes. Instead of resting on what I think is the best and what I understand to be the right thing to do, I give up the authority of my life and I begin to transfer my trust to Jesus and what he tells us. And so Peter does that. And if you know the story, I mean, we read it just a second ago. When he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled their partners from the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And so Peter is overwhelmed with what happens here, right? He's the professional fisherman. He's the guy that knows what he's doing. But Jesus says, just, hey, humor me. Put your nets out again. And he does. And he takes the step of obedience. And I think reading between the lines, Peter's probably not expecting a whole lot. He wasn't expecting what happened to happen. And you can understand why, if you think about it for just a second, put yourself in Peter's shoes. Somebody telling you, Uh, your area of expertise, hey, I think you should do this, right? I I was thinking about it this way, this week. Oftentimes, as as a pastor, people will come to me and ask me about uh, what the Bible says about different things, uh, about relational issues, things that they're struggling with. I need help with this relationship or this thing that's going on right now. What does God's word say? And we look at God's word together and we pray and we look for biblical counsel of what God's word says. And we do that. And people, I think, expect that in a relationship with your pastor, And I think that God calls us to that. But I want you to imagine for a minute, you come and we have a conversation like that and we get to the end and I say, hey, while I've got you, let me tell you some things about how to run your business. Let me, let me tell you how to do the marketing for your business. And maybe you should fire this person and hire this person and do it this way. You'd be like, what does he know about my business? Right? Like wouldn't there be part of you that would be like, okay, thanks. I appreciate it, but whatever. And and I think part of that is kind of what's happening with Jesus and Peter here. Peter has seen Jesus and he sees what he's doing and he's starting to believe that he's the Messiah and he's kind of coming to grips with these things. But now Jesus is kind of stepping into Peter's turf, the thing that he knows. But Peter does it and he obeys and he trusts Jesus. And then all of a sudden this thing happens. He takes in more fish than he's ever taken in before at once. To the fact where his nets are breaking and his boat is sinking. And all of a sudden Peter is overwhelmed because what Jesus tells him to do works. And all of a sudden he sees it come into focus. And suddenly he sees Jesus for who he is. 
He's starting to see the fullness of Jesus and his glory as he looks at him and he falls down in front of him and says, depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. He's starting to see that Jesus isn't just a man. It's not just a guy. That there's something more going on here. And so as he says this, Jesus responds to him, don't be afraid, Peter. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Right. And so there's the call of Peter. He leaves his stuff and now he goes with Jesus. We'll come back to that in a second. Now let's look at Matthew, the call of Matthew in verse 27. Don't let it throw you here. It says they went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Matthew and Levi are the same guy. Levi is his Hebrew name. Matthew is his Greek name. Goes by both at different times in the gospel. So don't let that throw you here that it says Levi. Levi and Matthew are one and the same. And so he goes and says he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Right? Short and sweet. Not a whole lot there. Matthew's there working as a tax collector for the Roman Empire. Right? Terrible job in the sense of popularity. Uh, Jewish people, Israelites in this time, had been conquered by the Romans. And now they tax them at the tune of 80 to 90%. Rough, right? <laughs> Nobody likes to pay taxes. Nobody wants to pay 80 to 90%. And then the tax collector, who's the one that you have to pay it to, that's not good either. And then you add on top of that, that Matthew, Levi, is a Jew. He's an Israelite who's gone to work for the, the government that's come in. And so it's not a popular job. <laughs> not, not a good job in the sense of having popularity with your fellow uh, Israelites, your fellow Jews, but this is what Matthew does. And so Jesus sees him sitting there and says, come follow me. And Matthew leaves and follows him. Now we don't know what all went on, what, uh, he had seen at other times, what, what the background here was in all of this. It's led commentators for years to speculate. Had Matthew seen Jesus doing miracles? Had he heard, heard his preaching and teaching? Had he had some interactions with Jesus before this happens? The truth is we don't know. But we know on that day when Jesus walked by and said, follow me, Matthew got up and left everything and followed him. At his word, he says, okay. And he gets up and he leaves. And so I want you to think about what he's leaving as he does. What he's giving up to go and follow Jesus. This is like you're at your office you're working in the middle of the day and Jesus comes by and says, follow me. And you go, okay. And you get up and you walk out. Like he just quit. He, he's done with this job. He just left. And what we know of tax collectors is one, they made a whole lot of money. Oftentimes because they were dishonest and they would defraud people, but they made a lot of money. He's now working for the, uh, the governing authorities at the time. So he had some sort of protection by working for the Romans and he's giving those things up. And as he gives those things up and he goes and follows Jesus, he's now going to follow a guy that many people are starting to believe is the Messiah. And I've been saying this throughout this series as we've been talking about it. The, I, the thought of the Messiah was someone that was going to lead a revolt against the governing authorities, was going to overthrow Rome. And so if you're Matthew, who's been working for the Romans and you get up and leave and you go with Jesus, and now you're surrounded by a bunch of people that want to overthrow the Roman government, How's that going to go for you? They're probably not going to be real psyched that Matthew's with them at the time, right? And so Matthew's giving up a lot and stepping into probably a pretty difficult situation at the beginning, but he does it. And he leaves at the word of Jesus. He goes and leaves and begins to follow him. 
And so with both of these guys, what I want you to see in both of these stories, with Peter and with Matthew both, is that they both humble themselves and receive the call of Jesus. The authority in their life changes. Instead of making decisions just by what they think and the way they operate and what they would do, they suddenly humble themselves and begin to follow Jesus. They put his understanding over theirs and begin to follow him. And so as we seek to follow Christ, as we seek to be disciples of Jesus, the authority of our life changes and we begin to put our trust in him over ourselves. The problem is oftentimes for all of us, whether you're a believer or not, wherever you are in your journey with Jesus is oftentimes we hear the things that God tells us. And when things get difficult in our life, we want to take back the authority. When things get to be push comes to shove and there's a struggle there and things are harder, instead of continuing to trust what God tells us, we go, well, based on my experience and what I'm going through and what I'm feeling in this moment, I want to take that back. And we often do that. Instead of completely transferring our trust to him, letting him be the authority in our life, we quickly take it back. And when we do, that's when we struggle. Hard gets harder. We're going against the way we were made. Remember what we said, if you were with us at the very beginning of this series, the first thing, the first week we looked at John chapter one, we said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word came and dwelt among us. Right. That word, the translation for word there in the text is talking about Jesus being the word is logos. Logos means divine truth that when Jesus comes, we have the embodiment of truth that Jesus is exactly how we were created to be. And he's living and showing us what we are created to be as people made in God's image, exactly what we were made for. And when we see Jesus, we see exactly the way things are to be. What he says is true. What he says is God's word. What he says is the way in which we were made to live. And so we read God's word and we hear what he tells us. And we hear his call on our life and we struggle to believe it. Even as believers, we have areas of unbelief in our heart. We hear the things that God says and we go, I don't have time for that. I'm too tired. That won't work. That's not the way the world works. And we make excuses and reasons why we're going to take back the authority in our own life. And so I want you just to think about for a second some of the things that the Bible clearly tells us. Right, John chapter 15, Jesus says, you abide in my word and my word in you and you will bear much fruit. And then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, if you want to bear fruit in your life that is in keeping with eternal things, that God is using and working, that you want to see God move in your life and him glorified, you are going to abide in his word. And I can't tell you how often I meet with people that are struggling in their life, that are professing believers, and they're like, I'm having a hard time. And one of the first things I ask is I go, how's your time in the word? Well, I'm really busy. I don't really have time to do that right now. Or the Bible tells us over and over, pray without ceasing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your quests be known to God. Pray in everything. Talk to God about everything. Say, I'm really struggling right now. Well, how's your time in the word and how's your prayer life? Well, I don't really have time for that. 
And we take the things that God clearly tells us, that he's the authority in our life, and we profess to say that we believe that as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, and then those very clear things he tells us, we go, well, I don't really have time to do that. And we wonder why we're struggling. God's called us into these things for our best. He knows what's our best. You abide in me and my word in you and you will bear much fruit. We could go down the list and say the same thing about praying, about giving, about meeting together, about caring and loving one another. All the things that God tells us. And so often we take back the authority in our life and we go, I think I can make this work on my own. I don't need to do the things that Jesus has told me to do. And then oftentimes we struggle because we're not transferring the authority of our life completely to him. We're still holding it back, thinking we can do it on our own. And so I want you just to think for a second, where are you struggling with the clear commands of scripture? Where in your life have you taken the authority back? You say, yeah, God, I know you say this, but I think I'm going to go on my own here. Ask God to show you those things. To show you the areas of your life where you're not completely surrendered to him. Ask him to change those things in your heart. It's for your best and he loves you and wants you to have the fullness of everything you were created for. There's a great quote in the bulletin today that actually goes right to the heart of this. It's from G.K. Chesterton. He says, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and largely left untried. So often we, we abandon the things God tells us and we never even give it a chance. And so the first part, if we want to really grow, is we give up the authority of our lives to Jesus. But then the second thing, as we begin to follow him, we give up the authority of our life. He begins to change the orientation of our life. And both of these stories, right, with Peter, he takes in this great haul of fish and then he drops to his knees says, depart from me for my sinful man. And then Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. He says, I'm going to now take you and I'm going to teach you and I'm going to show you and we're going to go proclaim to the world who I am. And I love that story when I think about that, that Peter sees this valuable lesson in front of him of all these fish, so much that he can't even get them in. It's sinking his boat. And Jesus kind of basically says, you haven't seen anything yet. You're going to see people changed far more people than the fish in this boat. And I can't help but think that Peter didn't think back to that time when Jesus said to him, I'm going to make you fisher of men. In Acts chapter 2, when he stands up and preaches for the first time after the resurrection, and 3,000 people come to faith. I can't help but wonder if he doesn't think back to this moment when Jesus says, you haven't seen anything yet. I'm going to teach you to go and share the glory of who God is with the people around you. But the same thing with with the call of Matthew. He says, follow me and leaving everything he rose and followed him. But then look at the very next thing that happens with Matthew. At this point, I think Peter and some of the disciples are now walking with Jesus and they're spending time with him. And so they're all there. This is verse 29. And Levi made a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And I'm just going to stop there for just a second. And so the very first thing it tells us is he calls Matthew, Levi, who leaves everything and follows him is they have a great big party at Matthew's house. Matthew, who is a tax collector, 
naturally, who are his friends going to be if he has a big party at his house? Other tax collectors, other people that no one likes, that no one really wants to have anything to do with. But that's where Jesus goes and that's where he takes his disciples and that's where he spends time. And he steps in with those people, the people that most people at the time would normally avoid. But that's where Jesus goes. The people that are expected to be hated. And he goes and he camps out there and he spends time with them. And I want you just to think about part of what he's doing here. So often our natural orientation is to stick with people that are like us. Like-minded people will stick together. I don't know about those people over there. We'll just stay with our group. Right? I've talked about this recently, the last few weeks, last couple months. How tribalism is rampant in our country. It's everywhere. It's this group is in and this group is out and I'm with this group and I'm not like those people. And Jesus steps in right in the middle and he goes to all the people. And he spends time with all of them. And he goes right to the middle with the tax collectors and sinners, the people that most would want to stay away from. And he's reorienting their, uh, his disciples to go. And to love all people, even the people that most wouldn't have anything to do with. And I'll tell you, at different times, it's hard for us to follow Jesus fully in this. It is hard. It's hard to go to the people that are not like us, that are hard, that are far from God. And some of the reasons why is, well, mostly because of our sin, our pride, our laziness, Oh, that would be difficult. I'm not sure I want to go there. I want to talk to them. What would that be like? We're quick to make excuses. We're quick to try to take back the authority of our life. When Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. I don't know how that would work. But he calls us into this. And he pushes us out to go and proclaim the good news of who he is. And that's what it looks like to be one of his disciples. But we struggle with that. I think one of the biggest reasons we struggle with that is bad theology. We get to a place where we think the church exists for us and us alone. Or the church is for good people to gather together and keep the evil out. We'll huddle up together and we'll encourage one another. And the world's hard and it's difficult and we'll do this together. And we'll keep the bad out. If that is your conception of what the church is, you didn't get that from Jesus. You didn't get that from the apostles. You didn't get that from the New Testament. Jesus calls us to come and follow him and to know and love him. And then immediately he turns us around and pushes us out to go and proclaim the good news to all. And that's exactly what he's doing here. If you're not sure... If that's what it looks like, look at what Jesus says. Verse 30, the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you spending time with those people? This is the religious leaders of the day. This is the church people. Why are you with those people? Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so I want you to think about what he says there. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. 
Those who are uh, well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Who are the sick? Who are those that are in need? Is it just the tax collectors? Is it just those people? Who is Jesus talking about when he says that? He's talking about all of us. He's actually talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the the religious leaders as well. But the only way that you miss what he's saying here is that if you see yourself as righteous, if you're self-righteous, I've got it all together. He can't be talking about me. It's those people that are the problem. And as soon as we start to operate and think that way, it is an alert that we don't understand the gospel. If you remember a couple weeks ago in John chapter 3, right? In John chapter 3, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And when we looked at that, we talked about the point there is that we're all perishing, that we're all in need, that we all desperately need the good news of the gospel, all of us. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance, right? That's what he says. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who are the sinners that need to repent? Me, you, us. We're the sinners that need to repent. And as we repent and we see our need for Jesus, that he has come to do for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. The next step of that is I have to go and tell other people they need to hear this. And when the authority of your life changes and you transfer your trust from yourself to Jesus and it's all what he's done, the very next thing that happens or goes hand in hand with that is my orientation changes. It's not about me. It's not us over here and them over there. It's the God of the universe coming for people that are sinners of which I am chief. I desperately need Jesus. And so how could I not go tell other people that need Jesus? And that's what he's saying here. How are you eating with those people? What do you mean those people? We're all those people. We're all in desperate need for Jesus to come to do for us what we could never ever do for ourselves. And he calls us into this. And so the authority of our life changes As the gospel comes to bear in our life, it changes the way we see every person. Every person I meet either knows Jesus, the king of the universe, and knows him in a personal relationship, and we can rejoice in that together, or they've not yet met him, and they need to hear. And we're called to invite them in and show them what God is like. And that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. The authority of your life changes and the orientation of your life changes. And when it does, and we'll end here this morning, you change. As you begin to step out in faith. As you begin to reorient your life around who Jesus is and what he's called you to, he meets you in that. As you take that step in faith. And you begin to open your mouth and share the good news of who Jesus is. And you see people come to faith. And you see people begin to change. And God is changing your heart. And he's softening it for the people around you. 
as you invite them into your home and you get to know people and you realize that the things that they're struggling with down at the bottom is the same things that you're struggling with and that's that you need Jesus. All of us. And God grows us in that. And he begins to show us. As we move out, God meets you in it and you see him more and he uses that to increase your faith. So I want you to just think about those couple things this morning and we'll end here. And I want to just ask this question. Where in your life do you need to take the next step of obedience? Or, or maybe another way to say it. Where in your life have you sought to take back the authority of your life? Instead of trusting fully what God has said and who you are in Jesus, you tried to take it back. Where is that? Ask God to show you that. He loves you and he's not done with you and he's working in and through you. He will show you those areas. And as he begins to show you that, what is the next step of obedience? And I'll take it a step further. Who are you going to share it with? God saves us into a family that we're called together to walk together, to encourage one another. Who are you going to share it with as we begin to follow him in every area of our life? So pray with me. God, would you show us the clear areas in our life where we've sought to take control back. We're not trusting fully what you've told us about who we are and who you are in us and what you've done for us. We pray that you would increase our faith, that you would help to reveal to us. You tell us that the Holy Spirit comes and you convict us of sin and you point us to Jesus. Would you show us the areas of our life where we're not fully trusting you? Would you continue to conform us to your image. I pray that as you do, that you would give us eyes to see the people around us, that we would reorient our lives around making your name known because of who you are and what you've done for us, that we'd be so overwhelmed that we'd want to share it with each person that we come into contact with, that we want to be people that are inviting those in our life in just the way that you have invited us into your family. Give us eyes to see people the way that you see them. Give us uh, a heart of faith that seeks to trust you in all things. And we pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.